Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a podcast where we have candid conversations in hopes to break mental health stigmas and normalize speaking up about our mental health. Through this podcast, we will connect you to a diverse range of folks from all around the world who have struggled with their mental health, but have learned to weather through the storm. By listening to their stories, you may begin to feel empowered, less alone, and you may discover new ways that will help you navigate through your own mental health struggles. So sit back, relax, and remember, everyone's story matters. innovative way to relax and center your mind? If so, I have the perfect solution for you. The Wondering Mind podcast has teamed up with Louisville Salt Cave to give you a special rate on their incredible single Halo Therapy session. Halo Therapy is a salt therapy that involves breathing in air with tiny salt particles to improve your breathing. It is considered an alternative treatment for lung problems such as asthma, bronchitis, and cough. It can also help with depression, anxiety, and much more. We're giving you $12 off your first single Halo Therapy session when you book online and use the code WONDER22. To book your session, go to www.LouisvilleSaltCave.com. Are you having a hard time finding a good therapist for you? Matcha Health is the best match in healthcare. They believe in a future where you can be more open with your therapists and doctors, where you can look forward to seeing them because you know and feel that they care about you, and that no matter what insurance you have, you can find someone quickly and that you can have a long-lasting relationship with. Matcha's mission is to eliminate the shopping around for a therapist experience. They use data, science, and personality tests to match and create the most successful relationship seen in healthcare. They make it a point to create a diverse and vibrant space for people and providers to grow and a place where you can find help at any time in your healthcare journey. For a free first session, Use code YAY000 at checkout when you visit www.matchahealth.io. Welcome to the Wondering Mind podcast. I'm your host, Emily Elizabeth. Joining me today is Molly Flynn. We connected on social media last year maybe yeah. even longer maybe even a year before that I don't know what is time these days it's been a really? while yeah time is soup <laughs> time is soup <laughs> but we connected and started following each other and you are a alcohol-free advocate you are living a sober life now 
we connected over that. And then when we started planning for MindFest, you actually joined our team and helped with sponsorships and you were fucking amazing. So anywho, <laughs> just a little you. snippet about you very briefly. That's Welcome to the show. Sweet. Thank you. It's <laughs> great to be here. <laughs> so I'm uh, really excited to talk to you today because again, like I just said, you are an advocate for living a sober life, uh, being sober curious, alcohol-free. And that's something that I'm also now very passionate about because I think my sobriety journey is almost three years now. Wow. So that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So I'm really excited to talk about yours and let the listeners learn a little bit more about you and what you've experienced and what your mental health journey with that has looked like. So I guess my first question to you is what did your relationship with alcohol look like in the beginning? In the beginning, beginning, <laughs> however far back you want to go. <laughs> well, I mean, when I first learned about alcohol, you know, for the first 18 plus years of my life, I was told that uh, alcohol was forbidden. Uh, it was sinful. Like I grew up in a, in a really um, conservative uh, Christian household and and that has its place but it, the messaging that my particular parents and my particular flavor of religion taught me was that um was that alcohol is sinful in all of its forms and is never never okay and you know and there there are people in our community who believe that as well um and I just happen to not be one of them I'm a kind of person who believes that like people have the agency to decide what's right for themselves. And it's a really personal choice. And I do believe that it's really, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but so I, I was taught that it was sinful. So when I got out into the world, it was like, yeehaw. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like Free I could, rain. I could do whatever yeah, I want. Whee! Exactly. <laughs> so I kind of tipped the scale a little too far. Uh, I definitely tipped the scale too far. By throughout my drinking experience, um, you know, I, I learned really unhealthy ways of drinking, um, binge drinking and, um, you know, blackouts and hangovers and um, all of it was was really terrible. Um, and by the end of my drinking experience, I was drinking um, extremely heavily to a point where my average was 10 drinks a day. Yeah, it was a lot. And that, like I said, that was my average. So sometimes it was more. Um, and it was wow. a lot of like hard liquor and, and beer and, you know, whatever form it takes it, it was unhealthy for me and my mental health, uh, and my body. Uh, it was just awful. So that was my relationship with alcohol before I got sober. So the main reason why you, started to get curious about alcohol and really kind of go all in with that culture was it in part because you were told for so long like don't do this so of course with the human mind a lot of the times we're told not to do something like so intensely and there's such strict boundaries put in place we're like mm, yeah no I'm gonna yeah. do the complete opposite <laughs> yeah you know you you had lived a life and you were just where you couldn't touch it you couldn't even learn about it or yeah. or make up your mind on your own so right. 
that was right. like yeah yeah I feel like uh you know there's a lot of uh varying opinions about, out there about uh where addiction comes from whether it's yeah. uh, trauma-based whether it's genetic um whether you know and for me personally uh it helps me to think of myself just purely as an addict like I am an alcoholic Mm-hmm. Um, and that is like in the core of my being, I am drawn towards uh, that high dopamine level that I get from uh, alcohol. And I can only assume other substances, but I don't know. <laughs> so Luckily. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I feel like for a lot of people, they maybe could have had a healthier experience with alcohol in my situation if they had learned healthy you know information about alcohol like yes it is a toxin yes it's dangerous for some people to consume at all and it's some people for some people it's safe to consume in small quantities and you have to figure out who you are as a person in in my personal opinion so i just i feel like things could have been different mm-hmm. uh, for some people but for me i am so drawn to alcohol that I I have no stop pedal uh like if you think of it in terms of a car it's just just all gas pedal like just go 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 get that dopamine so yeah I mean it's a combination of things like my my makeup of who I am and how I was raised as you know as with most things nurture nature yeah there are so many different kind of layers and perceptions on what is the general cause of addiction. Like there isn't really one, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's, it's a multitude and it's a combination of all different types of things. Mm -hmm. And I think once you experience that the genetic makeup in your body can either determine, Oh my God, I love this so much. I want to keep doing this. Or it can be like, okay, like I love this and I'll do this and I might not have boundaries, but it's not going to be like an everyday thing. That's kind of the avenue that I took because I still used it as a coping mechanism to ignore what I was feeling mm-hmm. regarding trauma or just anything that I was dealing with versus the same type of thing on the other avenue. But it's all you become addicted to it. Like right. you want it way more often yeah. than the mass majority And that's both are an issue. (laughs) Um, And that's another thing that I really like discussing with folks who are sober or living an alcohol free life is there are different, there are so many different facets to why people are sober Mm -hmm. and also to addiction in general and kind of breaking that down because it's not just black and white with this. Right. Totally. Um, Yeah, I completely agree. I guess what initially led you to decide that you were going to quit drinking alcohol? Because it sounds like with your experience, it was pretty intense. Yeah, it was. Yeah, intense is the right word. Yeah. Um, And that's really hard to just, one, to kind of get into that headspace of like, wow, okay, I can't do this anymore. Because a lot of people that are that in it, it's hard for them to take a step back. So yeah, I guess my question would be, how did you do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, 
a challenge and uh, dangerous for sure, especially when you're yeah. drinking to that level that I guess it's just a side note warning that if I had tried to stop cold turkey, there is the very real risk of um, harm to my body or brain through um, withdrawal. Mm. And so warning to anyone who's considering going sober, um, do it wisely, do it with the help of medical professionals if you can. And that's what I did. I ended up, uh, what led me to it was less of a personal choice um, and more of uh, just feeling like I had, like I had no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I was constantly in a state of either, um, you know, drunkenness or withdrawal. Like there was no in between. I was either drunk or or withdrawing from alcohol and needing to get more alcohol to feel okay in my body and in my brain. Mm. And um, I wasn't functioning at work. I had no social life. I couldn't do any passion projects. It was abysmal. And what really tipped the scale for me was that uh, my employer, um, you know, I I made a bunch of excuses at work of like, oh, well, I'm just really sick. I don't know what the cause is. And they said, well, you have to find out what the cause is because you're not able to do your job and we have to you know, know how to support you best. So, and, and, and know how to move forward with you as an employee. And so I went to a doctor, um, supposedly to find out what the problem was with all of my health issues. And the doctor pretty quickly realized that I was withdrawing from alcohol in that appointment. Wow. And, uh, she admitted me to the ER and it was actually the second time that I'd been to the ER for withdrawals. And, um, and even then I still wasn't sure that I was an alcoholic. I wasn't sure that I wanted to give up alcohol. Um, but it was the nudge that eventually led me towards getting into rehab. Um, I elected to go to, um, outpatient rehab and it was a three month program and, um, I lost my insurance two months oh, into no. it. Oh, my God. But the two months that I was able to do of that rehab program was the most transformative um, and uplifting experience of my life. Wow. And okay. That's how I got sober. Yeah. <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> First question. Let's back it up just a little bit to when you said when you were in the hospital and for the second time and you still were like in denial about what was going on. Can you like explain that a little bit, like mm-hmm. tap into that a little bit? Because I feel like so many people that are in whatever they're going through so in, like deeply, mm-hmm. it again, it's hard for you to step outside yourself because you're in it. You're consumed by everything else. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted you to maybe possibly explain that just a little bit, that experience, that mindset. Yeah. Well, honestly, I didn't accept that I was an alcoholic until I'd been sober for a full year. And I, so in, when I was in the hospital and throughout that whole first year of sobriety, I, my thinking was, I have a problem with how I drink 
Mm. and you know how much I drink and it's because I didn't learn how to drink the right way but if I could just learn how to drink the right way then you know I could drink and be fine um and one thing that I don't talk about very often but which is really valid for my experience is that when I hit that one-year mark the reason that I was able to decide okay yes I am an alcoholic is because I uh I decided uh, that I was going to have a cheat day like oh, people no. do with with uh, their diets. Yeah. And that had been an option that I'd like kept in my back pocket for the whole first year. It's like, well, maybe when I get to three months or maybe when I get to six months. Like know, a reward I'll... of sorts. Exactly. Because with diets, if you can like have a little bit of chocolate at the end of the day of counting calories that can feel really satisfying to some people. And I thought, well, maybe it's the same for me. And that cheat day turned into a whole cheat week. It was impossible for me to stop until one day my partner found me uh, blackout drunk. And fortunately, that partner is uh, the person I'm still with today, and he's extremely supportive. And he was able to um, be with me in that moment and help me the next day process what I'd been experiencing that past week. Anyway, it was because I had that experience that I was able to see, okay, it's not a matter of knowing all the right things and, you know, having all the data. I had the data. Uh, You know, I went through rehab. I went, I had information about you know, neuroplasticity and uh, avoiding alcohol when you are in XYZ emotional states, you know, it didn't matter for me. I am an alcoholic. And as soon as I had that first sip of alcohol, it was game over. And that was what led me to finally accepting this is not a matter of me having not learned how to drink properly. It's me having an issue regulating my dopamine levels when I consume ethanol. And and so it took me a whole year to finally get out of that state of denial. And I wouldn't recommend a cheat day to anybody. Um, <laughs> that was not my wisest choice. However, if somebody does have an experience like that, it can feel really shaming, um, which is why I don't talk about it a lot. There's a lot of people, there are a lot of people in the community who think that if you consume a drop of alcohol, you have to start your, you know, your timer all over again, count your days all over again. And I don't. I Yeah, because that's part of it. Exactly. Exactly. It was, it's my, it's my journey. And that whole experience is valid for me. So uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for sharing that because again most people don't typically talk about when they quote-unquote mess up or default back to their old habits and I'm really proud of you for not like starting over because that is part of your journey and who knows what would have happened had you continued for another couple of years and then all of a sudden decided or something triggered you and you you know fell back into that 
habit of drinking and it could have lasted long. Who knows? You know, you never know. Um, and again, I really admire and respect the fact that you were like, this is my journey. Everyone's journey is going to be different. Yeah. You can't fit addiction into a box. Yes, absolutely. You can't fit mental health into a box. Mm -hmm. And we try. We still try. Mm -hmm. But whether or not you were deemed a addict, an alcoholic, whether or not you have a certain type of diagnosis, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're still going to process everything completely different from someone else. Yes, absolutely. So I think it's almost harmful for members of the sober community or whatever type of community to kind of push that shame and keep that culture going because that's not going to benefit anyone from continuing to heal and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. And and shame is is totally the right word that I I sense from guilt uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah guilt and shame Mm -hmm. I feel like people project their own guilt and shame onto me when I share that part of my story um or you know likewise other people who are not sober may project Mm -hmm. shame onto me for being sober um there's a lot of stigma around addiction and recovery and um I've found that to be true in some specific recovery groups as well Mm -hmm. Um, and, and not in others, uh, like, uh, there's one really great mindfulness based, uh, Mm. mental health focused group that is, uh, that was really influential for me in my recovery journey. And I bring that up just to say that, you know, if something doesn't work for you, you know, try something new, break out of that box that people are trying to put you in as you so aptly said we we try to put people into boxes in their addiction and and recovery break out of that box and try something that does work for you because there are options yeah I think just in general in the mental health space I think people get so intimidated or overwhelmed by once they find something like whether it be an AA group or therapy that they feel as though, and I've talked about this so many times, they feel as though they have to stick with it Mm -hmm. for numerous different reasons, you know, whether it be, they just don't want to have that confrontational conversation, or they don't know how to go about finding another option of, or resource. So they just kind of stay or fear of if they take the time to find something else, then they won't actually follow through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you that if, if that's, if something that you seek out as a resource isn't a good fit, that's perfectly okay because there are other options. And even still, like if you are in an AA group or something that's helping you with your addiction, you can probably ask them mm-hmm. for another referral or, you know, resource. So yeah, I absolutely completely agree with that. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about your, if you're open to it, your experience with your recovery mm-hmm. and what it was like, I guess that first year yeah. of going through that process because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be. Uh, I know that especially my early, early, early sobriety was the most challenging experience of my life. 
Um, but it was also the most rewarding and it led yeah. to all of this joy. But to answer your question, um, early sobriety in recovery was, uh, in, in, in rehab was, um, that I felt so much support, mm. but I was also really out of it. Like I could feel in my body and in my brain that, um, there was a lot of healing that needed to happen. Uh, and of course, in my heart, because so much uh, of my personal addiction is trauma-based. Right. And um, so, yeah, I could, I could feel the healing and the, and the restoration happening um, wow. as my body was detoxifying. And then socially, it got really uncomfortable. It got like it was it was weird because I felt like, you know, once I got out of rehab and I got a little bit of time under my belt, I once I felt in my gut that I was ready to be in situations where alcohol might be present, I did allow myself to be in those social situations, which the, the time frame for that is different for everybody. Um, for me, it was pretty early. And oh. so within that first year, I was okay with being around alcohol or being in a bar. However, mm -hmm. I, I didn't consume any alcohol. And I found that um, in those social situations, it was, there was that shame again. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, from the other side, it was the shame from society who didn't understand sobriety. And that's changing. But at the time, it was, you know, this was 2016, so it's not even that long ago, but it was people, you know, I, I would get like lightly teased for it. And it didn't hurt my feelings, but it did make me feel like I had to excuse it away. And that was where that um, cheat day idea really helped me say like, oh, it's fine. I can I can drink alcohol whenever I want. It's almost like I, I've never realized this before. It's like the inverse of when I was drinking and I would say I could quit anytime I want. Mm. It's like I could quit sobriety anytime I wanted. And there was that peer pressure of, you know, there's, you have to drink alcohol to be considered an adult. And I don't, you know, this is talked about so much in sober, in the sober community that it doesn't make sense that out of all of the substances out there, alcohol is largely the one that you have to defend yourself. It's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it no make sense. sense. No. no. It's literally poison. Right. And our culture is like, no, this is totally normal. Right. <laughs> and it's if you so don't wild. drink, there's something wrong with you. And you're like, mm, think it's the other way around, but exactly. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so wild. So that peer pressure was definitely influential. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you, uh, I guess I'm not really sure how to answer that. <laughs> no, that totally answered the question. And I'm curious to know what made you feel as though you were ready to get back into the social scene so quickly, because a lot of people cannot do that at all. Like ever again, they have to completely cut going out like that of their lives or they are just too easily triggered 
um, for the first couple of years or however long it is. And then also I'm curious to know, let's answer that question first, I guess. (laughs) And then we can talk about mocktails. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think, I don't have the greatest, most inspirational answer to that, except that I am just really stubborn. Like, I'm Mm. tenacious. And so I knew that, well, I didn't want to drink because I was trying to achieve my goals. And, like, you know, I I kept setting these goals. I still do it. I set goals for myself of how much time I wanted to achieve in sobriety. Mm. Um, in order to feel like I'd reached that next, like, like I'd leveled up <laughs> and yeah. then, and then once I get there, set a new goal. So maybe if I was at three months, I wanted to get to three and a half months. Um, and now I'm at six years and I want to make it to seven years, you know, wow. that kind of stuff. That's so, awesome. Six years. Yeah. It's That's been really amazing. Big. Thank you. It went by really fast. And at the same time, feels like I've been sober forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in the same space of you feeling comfortable enough in your sobriety to get back out there and go to bars and be around people that are drinking, um, but not drink yourself. When did you start learning about mocktails? And when were you comfortable doing that? Because again, there's still a lot of people that can't even drink mocktails because it's still really triggering for them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, well, what's the point? You know, if I'm drinking a mocktail, there might as well be alcohol in it, which. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And because this has led you to a lot of opportunities in yes. the alcohol free space. So I'm curious to know, like when you first kind of partook in that. I tried to partake in it as soon as I started going back out into social spaces. Like I remember I was maybe mm, six months into sobriety and I went to a bar with uh, some uh, work friends and they were all drinking alcohol and um, I wanted to have something tasty too. And I I think I asked maybe for a non-alcoholic beer or a non-alcoholic cocktail and I ended up with a Shirley Temple. Oh, no. 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 Yeah. (laughs) Which for those who don't know what a Shirley Temple is, it's it's just like sugar and soda. (laughs) Literally. Grenadine and Sprite. Exactly. (laughs) And a cherry. (laughs) They're like, boop. Oh, it's special. You're like, literally, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Please take this away from me. (laughs) Yeah. It was so disappointing. It just, I felt like there has to be something better. And yeah. so I spent I literally hundreds of hours on the internet. I I I couldn't tell you how many. It was at least hundreds of hours on the internet over the course of years uh oh. searching for non-alcoholic alternatives. And in those first few years of my sobriety, there were very few options. There were some really bad non-alcoholic beer and I think there was maybe some non-alcoholic wine at that time, Mm. but it was not good. Questionable. (laughs) (laughs) Like lots of like Martinelli's, like the, uh, the sparkling cider that's non-alcoholic, you know, it's like also kind of soda, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Sugary. Yeah. 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 And for, 
some people who are in sobriety, it's so important to, um, you know, really look at the whole picture of physical, mental, and emotional health. And so for for those people who are limiting sugar, like those things are not options. Um, for me, I really like sugar, but I don't, <laughs> I was missing craft cocktails. Um, mm, you know, the good was, stuff. Yeah. The good stuff. Yeah. The fancy <laughs> stuff. You're like, oh, I'm so fancy right yeah, now. Yeah. Like... I wanted to be fancy. <laughs> you that don't was... just want juice. Sorry. Right. Like, or soda. Yeah. You know, yeah. And for people who enjoy juice and soda, that's valid. You yeah. do you. Taste is subjective. You enjoy what you enjoy. And for me, what I enjoy was something that was uh, really complex, maybe something mm-hmm. bitter, um, something that reminded me of the taste of alcohol, but without the effects of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that is what has been so important to me. Like uh, a lot of people call it a tool in the sober toolkit to have these non-alcoholic drinks. For me, having these non-alcoholic cocktails is the way that I stay sober. Mm. Um, You know, and you were saying before that it can be really triggering to people. That's totally true. That's totally valid for a lot of people. Um, And then there's this whole other community of people who say, it's not triggering to me under these circumstances, or it's mm. not triggering to me at all to mm-hmm. have non-alcoholic drinks. And and I'm one of those people who is not triggered by them. So um, it really helps keep the, the cravings at bay. So really, they started to come on the scene around the time of COVID. Oh, um, nice. I don't yeah. know if that was a coincidence or not. Um, mm. Like Seed Lip had been out for a little while, but then all of a sudden there was liars and they had this like amazing line of non-alcoholic spirits. And then there was Monday and then there was free spirits. And then now it's like every single week there's a new non-alcoholic product and it's, it's so gratifying. (laughs) It is. It's like very comforting to know that businesses and people just in general are starting to pick up on the fact that, oh, hey, we can still make money and turn this into a business, but we can do it in a healthy way that benefits the communities that we're serving. Yes. Because serving communities alcohol is not good for anybody, whether you drink very little or you drink a lot. Alcohol does not serve you ever. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, and I think it's just beautiful that our communities are becoming more inclusive and starting to respect the sober community and the alcohol-free community or sober curious folks who want to be in these settings. They still want to have fun. They don't need alcohol to have fun anymore, but they want something a little bit more elevated to make them feel like they're still a part of the social culture. Yes. Because that's kind of at the end of the day, what it is, you know, we all kind of want to fit in to some extent. Right. And whether you drink juice or Sprite or sodas, whatever that, again, like you said, that's totally fine. It's totally up to your preference and your choice, but there's a large community that wants that elevated drink. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it, again, I think it's great that all of these non-alcoholic companies are just popping up everywhere. It's really becoming a new culture mm-hmm. and a new trend 
And I love how people are promoting it as like, not drinking is cool. Like you can still be cool because for so long, basically our entire lives and how hundreds of years, alcohol has always been promoted as the cool thing to do. Right. So we're now trying to shift that culture. So let's talk about you and your brand now on social media. How are you changing that culture through your advocacy? I hadn't really thought about me changing culture through my advocacy. So that is something I'm going to have to process. Because <laughs> you are, you know, you're promoting non-alcoholic drinks and, and yeah. how to create them and making it a fun experience. I think it's phenomenal. What has that been like for you, I guess, is, is the question. Well, my whole purpose of it is just I'm documenting the drinks that I'm having mm-hmm. and the spirits, uh, the, the non-alcoholic spirits, the non-alcoholic beverages that I'm enjoying and trying to give other people access to them. And it is really cool to hear sometimes that that helps people. But, you know, I don't know. I just I, I try not to get a big head about it. <laughs> You don't have so you're to. Very sweet. Okay. Good. No, it's just nice because you know. Again, I think it's just refreshing to see the way that you do it, uh, and also too, it's nice to know that you literally started researching this way in the beginning, before this was a trend and before it was popular. So, I guess also too, a question would be, what have you seen that's been so like? monumental in your growth since the very beginning of when the non-alcoholic drinks started to come to light versus now like what has that been like seeing that trans transition yeah or for me like in my personal life I guess you for your personal life like what has that done for you and your mental Mm -hmm. health because it sounds like that's something that you really rely on right now right yes it is like I said the greatest tool in my sober toolkit and for me having options and access is it's everything it is how I stay sober it's how I have the the beautiful family life that I have with my partner and his kids it's how I've been able to participate in and even lead community projects um you know I've gotten back into music like doing these non-alcoholic drinks is a great creative outlet. Like, I feel like I have life again. Mm. In fact, it's not even that I have life again. It's almost like I have life for the first time. Yeah. Because, you know, so much of the formative years were traumatic. Mm -hmm. And then, and then there, that led right into my drinking. And that was, just exacerbating the uh you know the major depression that I already have the the anxiety that I already have and the other mental health diagnoses um like PTSD and so those things were all exacerbated by drinking because of I just saw this on a reel today but Mm. there was you get this high of dopamine when you ingest ethanol and then in order to go back to baseline, you first have to crash. You have to like go, you know, below baseline uh, mm-hmm. and and really get into that depression before you can even out again. And 
that is exactly what I was doing for all those years. And so now that I am no longer forcing myself to surf that really shitty wave, I am now capable of experiencing balance and joy. And it's not like everything is perfect, but it's really good. Yeah. That's amazing. And I guess obviously you just explained that in a nutshell that your mental health has drastically improved. So aside from utilizing mocktails as a tool and a resource to keep you going along with your community support, your partner support, what are some other things that you've been doing to kind of maintain your mental health throughout this sobriety process? The hands down, the largest thing that I do for my mental health is stay sober. And Mm -hmm. the second thing that I do for my mental health is a daily practice of taking my mental health medications. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on an antidepressant um, and it is, it, it, for some people that is a no brainer. It's so easy to take meds every day. And for me, it's not, you know, a lot of us, it's, it's, it is, like I said, a practice. Mm -hmm. And I had an experience where I took my medication every day for two years, which was astronomically (laughs) life-changing. It did it. it. Yeah, I did it. It was so wild. And then at the end of that two years, uh, you know, just somewhere in the mix, I, I fell off the medication bandwagon. Mm And I've been getting myself, I've been picking myself back up since that time. And mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm just about to hit one month of taking my meds every day. Wow. And it's not that I, you know, think that people have to count their medication days, but for me, it's a helpful tool. And uh, specifically the staying reliably on medication that I know works for me and my body and my brain has been so powerful. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I maintain my mental health and therapy. Therapy is great too. And therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget therapy. Let's not forget. No, I like that you brought that up. I I've never had someone talk about their medications like that, mm. but earlier in the conversation, when you were talking about how you kept setting goals for yourself for sobriety, it only makes sense that you would do that for your medication mm-hmm. because it is such an easy thing to forget to do <laughs> guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently did it. I'm on a new medication for depression mm-hmm. and I accidentally ran out and one day I just missed one day. And I had withdrawals. Yeah. And it it's was terrible. awful, mm-hmm. which is a whole other topic of conversation. But uh, in the sense that you're holding yourself accountable and you're making sure that you don't miss a day and that you like cheer yourself on throughout that process, because taking medication is a big step yeah. for a lot of people and it should be recognized And it's also a way to hold yourself accountable and honor the process and honor yourself. So I think that's amazing that you do that. So thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. Something I want to add to that is that I, I do really appreciate you saying that it is, um, uh, I forget the word you use for it, but that, that it's a good thing to take my meds every day because 
even when I am sober, I still struggle with suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when even on my, even when I'm on my meds regularly, there are times where that'll creep up. But mm -hmm. definitely when I miss days of my medication or when I go off of it completely, I know that that's where I'm going to end up, you know, and like they say in certain sobriety groups, um, you know, play the tape forward, like you kind of fortune telling, but like, you know yourself best. And I know that if I drink alcohol or if I miss medication, then I am going to end up in a really dark and vulnerable place. And so in order to show myself love and mm -hmm. compassion and to show that same love and compassion and respect for the people around me who depend on me i am i'm choosing to be responsible and taking my medication every day and to stay sober every day that's that's my journey well i think it's fantastic and i think you've done amazing throughout your journey because Again, sobriety and addiction in general is one of the hardest things to navigate through and to continue to overcome because it's something that kind of always sticks with you to a certain extent. I mean, it's mm -hmm. always there. It's just a matter of how you choose to navigate through that and take better care of yourself. Yeah. So again, I love that you said it's it's a reflection of how much you respect yourself now versus when you did then. Yeah. And I can relate to that as well. It's like, I think if a lot of people started looking at it like that, it, well, first of all, they'd have a lot of questions and things to untangle in therapy, yeah, <laughs> but sure. then they would eventually get to the part where, you know, it's a matter of, well, life and death and how much you respect yourself yeah. enough to take better care of yourself and for the people who rely on you and who you love and care about. Yeah. You know, it's not just about you at the end of the day. It's about everyone else that you love and care about too. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned that journey that like the untangling that people have to do, uh, you know, in their own brains and hearts and mm -hmm. in the context of therapy. Um, Cause I definitely had to do that. And while well, this conversation is like making me realize a lot of things. Like <laughs> Is this I therapy? Mean, Are we in yeah. therapy? <laughs> cool. Great. This is maybe the most exciting therapy session I've ever had. <laughs> um, I am realizing in this moment that mm -hmm. I never would have been capable of, of going through the sober journey if I hadn't started with my mental health journey back when I was 18. And eventually, you know, when I got into uh, therapy and, and really started to dig into some of my traumas, it brought up the question of why do other people deserve to be considered worth something and I am not worth something? You know, why do I love other people, but I don't feel that I am worthy of love? And through that journey of learning healthy, appropriate self-love and self-compassion that ultimately opened the door to me saying like, okay, I love myself, whether, whether I'm an alcoholic, sober, curious, whatever I want to call myself, I love myself just enough <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to say that I don't want to drink 
today mm-hmm. or that I want to take my mental health medications today and just get through to that next moment. And I can worry about that next moment when I get there. But right now, I love myself and want to show myself that compassion. So yeah, therapy's great. Therapy <laughs> is great. Yeah. And also just like, again, talking through things, you just start to have these revelations because you just start thinking about things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I also agree with you when you said that you, I like how, or rather, I like how you put it, where you said, I have enough self-love and self-respect, just enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that is a constant journey. And it's sad because it's not our fault that we feel the way that we do about ourselves. It's all external feeding back into us and our subconscious. And it's also a matter of how our brains are wired. Our brains are wired to protect us. And, you know, for some reason, the universe decided to create us where we would rather think of all the negative things about ourselves, I guess, in a sense to protect us. Uh, and that part has not quite evolved no. as much as we would <laughs> like for it to any minute so, now and, and we're waiting like yeah. come on please just please so it's a lot of work and again you know becoming sober or alcohol free it just like with anything else you kind of ha- you have to consistently work on it so it's not like you get to a certain point within your sobriety journey where you're like okay like all done right now we're just cruising like no the same thing with your mental health same thing with your physical health you have to take care and nurture yourself every single day and I've come to realize that it's when we stop doing that when everything falls apart yes absolutely when I was in rehab there was a woman there who had been sober for 10 years before falling off the wagon. And uh, I remember that terrifying me in, in rehab because I thought if, if a relapse can happen to her, it can happen to anybody, especially me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And as I get closer and closer to 10 years to Mm -hmm. that mark, I'm like, Oh no, it, it might happen. And even though that fear isn't uh, maybe the healthiest way to process that uh, that emotion, uh, that that memory and that anticipation, um, I do think that it is a great reminder to me that I do have to maintain my sobriety. And I love the word you use, nurture. Nurture mm-hmm. my sobriety, nurture my mental health, just like you would your physical health, yeah. which also I'm not great at. But it's hard. It's hard. We have, <laughs> good for you. I have not yet. So <laughs> going to do that after this. Yeah. <laughs> it's we're working on it, right? Work in progress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, but that's true. And I, I, I understand what you're saying when you state that, you know, anxiety is probably or fear rather is probably not the most ideal way to kind of hold yourself accountable and like make sure that you don't slip back into old default patterns. But at the same time, sometimes that's like motivation enough for some people. Mm -hmm. If they get spooked just enough Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh shit, I really don't want that to happen to me. Then you'll make every, then you'll make sure that like, no matter what, that, that will not happen. Yes. We have to remember too, like 
we are in control of what we do. Yes. Whether we feel like it or not. There are different layers to that. There are different Mm -hmm. levels to that. You can't just jump from like bottom to top. Like that's not how it works. Right. But at the end of the day, you're always in control and you can always, you know, even if God forbid you were to, you would be able to get yourself back. Yes. Faster than you did before. Right. But you're still, you know, we still, that's what the whole healing journey and nurturing ourselves is all about is to continue to educate ourselves so that we are confident enough and we trust ourselves enough that when we are faced with a difficult situation or we are triggered or we feel like going back to our default patterns, we have the tools to utilize that we didn't before that will allow us to continue to move forward instead of fall backward. Absolutely. So I think you got this in the bag. Oh, thank you. Fingers crossed. And you're going to have, you have to have the biggest celebration on your 10 year anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe like, the 11th as well. Yeah, hell yeah. Cause you're like, <laughs> no, I really fucking did it though. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, cool. 10 years. But like, what about this 10th year though? Right, right. <laughs> you got to get through it. And then on the 11th year, like, all right, we're good. We are yeah. smooth sailing now. <laughs> Yes. No, that's... you should mention it. I had a sobriety party this year. Awesome. Six years. It was so good. Just honestly, you literally should have some type of celebration every year. If yeah. that's if that's what motivates you and keeps you going, because it is a big deal. It's a mm-hmm. big deal to be sober in a world that is not sober, like friendly, if yeah. you will. That, that thinks that being sober is strange and weird and mm-hmm. and doesn't fully accept it. I mean, that's a huge thing. And, and not only from a cultural perspective, but from a very personal perspective, like that is a huge milestone and achievement. Mm-hmm. Because again, year after year, you're still facing different challenges that will, you know, tempt you. Yes. And to be able to continue year after year to fight through that is a lot of work. It is. Hell yeah. Celebrate every year. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man. I think that's absolutely true because uh, I mean, there's, <sighs> I lost my train of thought. That's <laughs> okay. It's Sorry. really early where you are just to it let is. everyone know. It's like Seven thirty, her time almost yeah. in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, she was like, "I'm ready to record. Let's do this." I was like, yeah. "All right, we're doing it." Didn't have enough coffee though. <laughs> it's okay. After this, you'll you'll revitalize yourself, bring yourself back to life. Absolutely. So I guess um, we can end the conversation. Um, and this might be a loaded question, but what is the number one thing that you've learned thus far on your sobriety journey? The number one thing I've learned or something that just sticks out to you the most that you feel has been a game changer for you or helpful. I think the first one is that this is kind of a cliche from, I think from AA, but (laughs) it is take what you need and leave the rest. Mm. And or maybe that was something somebody told me about AA. I don't remember, but it is definitely cliche in the sobriety <laughs> world. And it is 
the most helpful thing that has Mm -hmm. empowered me to look inside myself and decide what is right for me Mm -hmm. because I know what my limitations are and what my strengths are so if a nameless cult-like sobriety organization (laughs) (laughs) doesn't work for you there are other communities out there that Mm -hmm. do work for you and if those don't work there's therapy if those don't work there's rehab if those don't work there are medications there are so many options there's Instagram and TikTok now and there are people who are finding a tremendous amount of support and community on there and that's my second takeaway from sobriety is that there is while yes you and I have talked about the obstacles of a society that doesn't support and really acknowledge sobriety as a a valid way to live that's changing and I want to encourage people Mm -hmm. that there is so much life to be had in um, a, a sober free lifestyle or a sober curious lifestyle because there is there there are people there there's a booming and growing community of like-minded people who want to celebrate your every day and and every year achievements so don't feel like you're gonna have to do this alone because mm. um you know maybe that felt that way for a lot of us in early sobriety but that's it's just not that way anymore. Amen. Yeah, Yeah, those are great takeaways. And you're right, especially with social media being so prominent in our culture now, there are so many awesome accounts out there like yours in particular, Molly Makes Drinks on Instagram (laughs) that promote living an alcohol-free life. And there are communities. I'm sure there's Mm. Facebook groups So when folks get to a certain point where they feel comfortable and confident enough to start diving into that information, there is plenty out there now. And like you said, it's growing and it's so beautiful to see. Shout out to Absence of Proof as well Mm -hmm. on Instagram. She was just (laughs) on the show. She's incredible. New York City. What's up? No Booze Babes is another awesome Mm -hmm. account. I mean, there's so many for all different types of folks, all different types of walks of life. Uh, Mm. Amen to that. Amen. Mm. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We finally did it. Yay! (laughs) We finally got you on here and I'm so excited. You're amazing. This has been a wonderful experience and I am so grateful for everything that you do um, for the mental health and sobriety communities. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all folks. We're signing off. She needs more coffee. I need to drink some water. (laughs) Thank you again to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain and keep on wondering. Thank you.